and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast. It's Thursday, September the 15th. I'm Richard Woolley, editor in Reorg's London office, and today I'm joined by Emerging Markets reporter Jack Lawrenson, who's going to talk about some recent developments at Ukrainian oil and gas group Naftagaz. I'm also going to speak to senior legal analyst Shan Qureshi about French conference organiser Comexposium. Last week, three members of Naftagaz's supervisory board resigned, citing concerns over the company's management and its finances since CEO Yuri Vitrenko took over in April. Vitrenko said he wanted to refrain from commenting on the situation, but broke cover on Friday to say that new independent members of the company's supervisory board should be selected as soon as possible. I asked Jack for some background on how the company came to this pass. So the year started off quite well for Naftahas, with good news about offshore exploration rights, with the Ukrainian government granting the company rights to explore and produce on the offshore Black Sea shelf without needing to compete in tenders with other companies. The government also paid out over a billion dollars in compensation to Naftohas because of a scheme in which the company had been selling gas at a discount uh, in order to help the population. The group also discovered a new gas field in Poltava, central Ukraine, and signed a cooperation memorandum with OMV Petron from Romania. There was talk of issuing additional eurobonds this year in order to finance new and existing projects. It was all looking pretty good until April. Okay, and then what happened? Well, when Naftahas reported its 2020 financial results on April 27th, they showed that the company had swung from a profit in 2019 to a loss of 19 billion Ukrainian hryvnia, about 700 million dollars in 2020. The government was not happy about this and dismissed Andriy Kobolev, the CEO. Management argued that this wasn't fair. They said that unpaid government debt to the group, lower gas prices throughout 2020, and significant payments, which are effectively dividends, to the state, uh, were to blame for the 2020 losses. Nonetheless, Kobolev was still held responsible and fired by the government. The cabinet of ministers in Ukraine immediately appointed Yuri Vitrenko as CEO, but the independent supervisory board said that this was done in a way that completely bypassed them and that the government had temporarily suspended them in order to bring Vitrenko in without their approval. And things have been going downhill ever since, culminating in last week's resignations of key members of the supervisory board. And what's the government response been? They and Vitrenko have been on the same page. They're paying strong lip service to the importance of independent supervision and modern corporate governance. But in reality, the government appears to have doubled down in support of their chosen man, Vitrenko. And for his part, he's not unpopular here in Ukraine. He also says all the right things and has a forward-looking plan for the company and its future. He's seen as competent and an experienced manager and well-suited to the job. And his recent visit to the United States to meet with political leaders and investors was a big success. But there are still strong concerns here about how he was placed in his position, how he's holding on to it and how that could undermine anti-corruption reforms in the country. And I understand that law enforcement has actually become involved, is that right? Yes, and that's when the Naftahas Supervisory Board and other observers started to become quite concerned. The main anti-corruption agency in Ukraine issued an order for Vitrenko to be suspended 
because of an alleged conflict of interest due to a previous role in the Ministry of Energy as a deputy minister. He says there is no conflict, and the government has sided with him, even going to court in order to suspend the order and keep him in his post. The supervisory board of Naftohaus appeared to grow very concerned with the optics of all of this, and we now know that since April, their relationship with both Vitrenko and the government has been very complicated. And on Wednesday last week, the three independent members of the supervisory board, all foreigners and including its chairperson, announced their resignation. And sources told us as well that the situation deteriorated so badly that the working relationship was just no longer tenable. And we were also told that key members of the executive board are considering their positions too and may step down. Even the US State Department, which considers itself an interested and invested stakeholder in Ukrainian and European energy security and energy independence, has stepped in and voiced its own concerns over what's happening at Naftohas. Two questions then. Um, what, if anything, has been the market reaction so far? And uh, where do you see things going from here? So the company currently has net debt of around 28 billion Ukrainian hryvnia, which is about $1.05 billion. This includes three bonds maturing in 2022, 2024 and 2026. And as the company is state-owned, the notes appear to be quite closely connected to the health of the Ukrainian sovereign. They're not very liquid and are currently quoted at around 103, 104. But the maturities are fairly close and Naftohas needs to find a stable place to stand so that it can manage its operations, address what to do with its existing debt, and also convince investors that any new euro bonds brought to the market are a worthwhile prospect. But with a CEO that's under fire from multiple directions, uncertainty on its executive board and no functioning supervisory board, things at Naftohas are still looking far from certain. After a surprise Sovgard filing last year, Comexposium's dispute with some of its lenders appears to be reaching an endgame. The French conference producer presented its plan to exit Sovgard to a French court earlier this week, which could result in distressed investors being termed out, that is, having the maturity of their debt extended by 10 years. I asked Shan to explain the crux of the disagreement between the company and its lenders. This is essentially a dispute about ownership. Compexposium was badly affected by the COVID pandemic, which shut its many trade fairs and essentially reduced its revenue to zero. Now, the company's shareholders, who are the Chamber of Commerce and Industry of Paris and Pridica, which is part of Credit Agricole, took the decision to enter into safeguard to avoid tripping a leverage covenant in the group's fully drawn 90 million euro LCF and also to provide the company with protection against creditor enforcement. Now, around three quarters of the company's 597 million euro term loan B is held by a coordinating committee, which is SVP, Attesta, Hayfin and KKR. These uh, lenders have made various proposals for the equitisation of their debt, but the shareholders have resisted and told us that the company is not for sale. Right. And where do the UK court proceedings fit in? So the lenders to the English law SFA I mentioned sought an enforcement, not of payment, but of their information reporting covenants in the loan documents in the English courts. So the SFA lenders were of the view that 
If they were provided with better financial information, it would assist their proposals for the French safeguard. Now, these proceedings were launched in the UK High Court in June, and in July, the court threw out the jurisdictional challenge, which was initiated by the company, against the creditor's application. Following this, there was a multi-day trial in August in the English court, and the court heard from two rival expert witnesses on French law and concluded that the information covenants are, as a matter of English law, enforceable against the company, regardless of the ongoing safeguard proceedings. Now, Reorg has actually obtained both sets of witness statements and copies of the expert reports on French law, which are available to our subscribers. The judge presiding over the matter, Judge Kramer, subsequently has rejected an application by the company for permission to appeal on September the 3rd, where he essentially said that the company just wanted another bite of the cherry. And on the other side of the channel, what's the situation in the French courts? So the company appeared yesterday, September the 15th, before the French court in Nanterre to present its safeguard proceedings. And the French court has extended the observation period under the safeguard proceedings, setting October the 7th as a date for its deliberations. As anticipated by the lenders, the group's proposed plan terms out the outstanding debt, extending the final payment debt of the amounts due under the SFA by 10 years, so that's to 2031. Creditors of the uh, SFA lender group, which include, as I mentioned, SVP, Atesta, Haven and KKR, hold about 75% of the term loan and had issued an alternative offer in October last year, which included... Firstly, a new cash injection of €175 million, Euros, which would have been available on completion of the transaction, a finance and security by a line of debt and equity, and the conversion of 50% of the debt owed under the SFA into equity, and the rescheduling of the remaining debt due under the SFA, SFA until April 2026. Now, shareholders of the group had responded to the offer, as I mentioned, and just claimed it was unacceptable because... They don't essentially want to give up their equity in the group. As they said, the, uh, the company is not for sale. In order to see where this, uh, this name gets to, we'll have to wait to see what the findings of the French court are in respect of the safeguards, and those will be in October. And there we'll be able to see exactly how the SFA lenders are treated. As always, more information on these situations is available to subscribers on our website, reorg.com. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another Reorg Europe podcast, but until then, stay safe and thank you very much for listening.